Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Whether you're a brand, large business, small business, or an individual, you need customers. And the chances are some of your potential customers are probably listening to this podcast right now. From history, when Napoleon led Boulogne for a year, politics, if that person is poor, it's a bad neighbourhood, then you have the disproportionate police brutality, which is meted out instantly at people of colour. Culture, had they written it for that Chris called an ambulance for hours straight away, and we wouldn't have learned about the severity of alcohol withdrawal either. Well done to the writers. Thank you for making a wonderful podcast, but I'd give rather a miss. <laughs> the Rotherham Tourist Board. Geekdom. The flag is a graphic symbol, not a verbal symbol. You know, why don't we just write France on the flag? I mean, we laugh when you think of putting a country's name on a flag. Society or music. Young people began to turn away from their parents' ethics and their style of dress, and they began to dance to a new type of music. Royfield Brown's podcasts are downloaded just under 100,000 times a month. So putting your message here could well be worth it. If you have something to sell or promote, why not email royfield at gmail.com and hear your product or service promoted. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royfield Brown, who's 37.8 minutes north and 122.3 minutes west, which puts me back in Oakland, California. And with me is Claire Asprey. Claire, where are you today? Surprise, surprise. As ever, I'm at 52.1 degrees north, 0.5 degrees east in Bedfordshire, UK. This is Map Corner, the podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartophilic. So if Peter's is your projection, you're in the right place. 
And uh, this month we are talking to uh, Father Bill Miller, who is an Episcopal priest. Uh, and we'll be talking about spiritual journeys following the publication of his book, The Last Hallelujah, which is about his 5,000 mile road trip with his uh, sociable dog. And I'm sure we'll get on the chance to talk about all sorts of other spiritual and pilgrimages, including musical pilgrimages potentially, because I think you're a big jazz fan as well. Indeed, yes. We have part two of Andy Gladwin's audio postcard from that most evocative of British strips of tarmac, the M62. Now, we need you to review us on Apple iTunes. We don't have enough. So I'm looking looking at you, Rebecca. Uh, write us a review on Apple iTunes. But I, not only Rebecca, but anybody else who enjoys our output. Because the, the more reviews that we actually have, the more people will then listen to the podcast. And again, we're uh, recording this live on Zoom with our Map Corner listeners. And uh, if you want to join in the next broadcast, do join the Facebook page uh, to get the group details of uh, the next show and the login. Now, normally we record the first Saturday of every month, uh, which is 6 p.m. UK time, which is 1 p.m. Eastern and 10 a.m. Pacific. But first, we're going to go to our uh, to the man of the moment. It's uh, Father Bill <laughs> Miller. Uh, he's gonna. He, he wrote um, somewhat of a, a travel log, a homage to um, wandering with his pooch. Father Bill, why the reason for the book? Well, I've been blessed to travel a bit myself and live uh, in some wonderful places in the world. And I found myself living on the beautiful island of Kauai in Hawaii. I uh, grew up in Texas, lived in Chicago for a while. And uh, as I said, I have been blessed to, to travel to many parts of the world. And uh, I've learned a lot and I continue to learn. Uh, but one of the things I pay attention to as I travel is the beauty of creation and particularly our animal friends, uh, whether I'm in Africa or Hawaii. And uh, I met a wonderful dog in Kauai. He had been living at the Humane Society. And I met him uh, a number of years ago when I first moved there. I didn't have any social network to speak of. And I went to the Humane Society and there was a, a sign on the cage uh, in which the critter was hiding. And it said Airedale. And I happen to be a big fan of Airedale Terriers. They're among my favorite dogs. I had a couple of them when I lived in Texas and uh, wrote about one of them in my first book. But uh, this guy uh, immediately connected and uh, we became best buddies and had uh, lots of adventures in Hawaii. And then about five and a half years ago, we had the opportunity to move to Louisiana near New Orleans, have a lot of musician friends here. There are lots of very fine beasts and humans who live in these parts and a few alligators as well. And who knows what's in the swamp. But uh, Willie and I moved here and uh, life was good for us. And back in November of 2017, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And uh, his first symptom was that he wouldn't eat. And here in New Orleans, we know that there's something wrong when a person will not eat because uh, the food for humans and canines alike is absolutely delicious and uh, you can't resist it. But Willie resisted. Uh, he was diagnosed with a terminal cancer and he was actually only given a few months to live. We did some medical procedures and I started him on a very healthy diet. And, uh, he was surrounded by love and he continued to live. 
And we decided that in the summer of 2017, we would go on a road trip together because when your best friend is dying, you want to be able to spend time with them. So we got out a map and we plotted our itinerary and we had a good friend in Las Vegas and we knew we would start uh, in New Orleans and end in Las Vegas from swamp to desert and uh, share uh, his message that uh, miracles are possible when you're surrounded by love and care and uh, share his story that the important things in our lives are our uh, relationships and spending time with those that we love uh, and uh, being kind and compassionate to the planet and all those who inhabit it. And before we knew it, we had not only A and Z, but every letter in between and uh, had invitations to stop throughout Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arizona, and then finally ending up in Nevada. And it was such an extraordinary journey that we shared together because we saw all sorts of human beings come together and embrace a positive cause and sort of rally around Willie and uh, his uh, animal friends. And we raised a lot of money for animal shelters and humane societies. And I knew as we were traveling that this would likely become a book. Uh, so that did become a book. It's called The Last Hallelujah Tales from the Trail and uh, came out back in October. Uh, things are a little different these days in terms of book tours and uh, road trips, but we've been able to connect with folks via Zoom and uh, other uh, technological uh, opportunities. So thanks for, uh, for having us. In terms of your road trip, and we're, we're, we're a map-loving community here, um, so when you were planning your trip, what were the things that you were looking to achieve? Because there's more than one way to get from A to B, isn't there? So yes. what was it that drove the route that you chose? And yeah, what are the kind of memorable kind of points along the way? We really didn't know what sort of response there would be. This uh, crazy priest and his dog are off on this road trip and the dog has terminal cancer uh, and want to, they want to share some dog stories and help their animal friends. And so I simply put that message out there uh, via social media. And literally within a matter of days, we had about, uh, I guess, about 24 opportunities. And we heard from bookstores, breweries, restaurants, humane societies, uh, animal shelters, churches, schools. So we plotted our itinerary according to the invitations that came in. And if it was uh, within striking distance, we added them to our itinerary. So we spent a lot of time in Texas from uh, Houston to Austin to Dallas, up to Oklahoma City, Tulsa, across the Texas panhandle uh, in Lubbock, and then throughout New Mexico, Cloudcroft, Alamogordo, Albuquerque, over to Flagstaff, and then finally uh, ending in Las Vegas. And uh, the memories were really, really quite extraordinary uh, to see how many people uh, wanted to celebrate Willie's life and uh, his story of survival and also help uh, help animals in their various towns. So uh, lots of great stories came came from the adventure. I mean, there must be so many things you've done along that route. So what is it that you will you know, especially remember or what is it that you, you took from it? Because you, you had a message that you wanted to do. So where, where do you feel that that message had the most impact, I guess, on the way? 
Yeah, it was interesting. I think one of the most uh, memorable uh, days for us was actually the 4th of July, which is a fairly important day here in the United States. And uh, we had heard from a brewery in a small town in Texas called Salado, Texas. And their story was really a story of the community coming together uh, to value the opportunity to be together. Uh, and they had to change the town laws. And uh, it was really a grassroots effort to create this place. And uh, perhaps similar to the atmosphere of a pub in England, it became a great gathering place for the community. And so they decided to open on the 4th of July and uh, open their doors to Willie and to me and to the community. Uh, and I just remember looking out on that sea of humanity, and it was a wonderful microcosm of the diversity of America. There were all kinds of people, all ages, uh, all animals, including a number of uh, canines, uh, children, seniors, and everybody was there having a good time being in community and uh, celebrating animals. There were some other places that you might predict. Uh, New Mexico is a state of rare beauty and uh, being in the mountains near Cloudcroft was really extraordinary. And the Southwest part of the United States is just stunning. And uh, it, it's really great. It was really great being with a dog who's uh, experiencing sensory overload uh, as we traveled. There are so many sights and scents to uncover and to discover. And I think being with Willie uh, made me much more mindful of my surroundings and the beauty of the Southwest and, and unexpected places. For example, the Panhandle of Texas is not particularly a tourist destination. Uh, the Llano Estacado is a, is a, a vast mesa. When I told people we were going to stop in Lubbock, uh, they extended their condolences. And that actually turned out to be an, uh, an extraordinary uh, place that we visited. The community came together. The church where we were actually had a cemetery for their animal friends. And it was a celebration of the theology of St. Francis. And it was just a beautiful event. It was actually a sold out event. And uh, so Willie sold at three events. He sold at uh, two in Texas and one in Las Vegas. You know, you just never know. I think uh, one of the stories I have in the book is called Lubbock or Leave It. And I quote John Lubbock, who was not from Texas. Uh, he was from a different part of the world. And he said, what we see depends mainly on what we look for. Uh, and I think over the course of that adventure, uh, you know, some things were quite overt and obvious. It was kind of like living on the island of Kauai. You're surrounded by beauty. You can't help but pinch yourself and open your eyes uh, and see the lush uh, green mountains and the beauty of the Pacific Ocean, the magnificent waterfalls. And the wide open and vast desert and mountain spaces of the Southwest are like that as well. But there were definitely some surprises along the way. And I, I credit Willie for helping me discover those. So if you're traveling with an animal who's experiencing it all as a very new thing, it, like you say, it makes you more aware and present around it. Was that part of the idea of the journey? Because I'm really interested in the concept of, well, pilgrimage for want of a better word. But actually, it doesn't, there are some very established pilgrim routes, but actually any journey can be a mindful journey when we are present in it or we're noticing well and what does it mean to travel mindfully? 
Yeah, you know, pilgrimage is such an important part of every spiritual tradition. Uh, and if we're traveling mindfully, then a pilgrimage uh, can be done anywhere. Uh, it could be done around the block uh, in my backyard where all of my dogs like to frolic. These days it'll have to be because we're all in lockdown. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well. I lead a few a few traditional pilgrimages Um uh, and I also lead some some non-traditional pilgrimages. I lead one to the sacred island of Molokai in Hawaii, which was not only the island where the first Polynesians settled, it really gave birth to Hawaiian culture and is still considered the most Hawaiian of all of the islands. It's just a, a beautiful place. But it was also made sacred by the work of St. Damien and uh, St. Marianne, who uh, Damien, of course, is from Belgium. Uh, Marianne was from New York, and uh, their work with those with Hansen's disease uh, on the Kalalau Peninsula, Kalapapa Peninsula, uh, and the churches that Damien built by hand, you can still go there and, and pray in those churches. So I lead a pilgrimage there. I lead music pilgrimages. I uh, have one coming up from Memphis through the Mississippi Delta uh, all the way to New Orleans. Uh, we've been hoping to do it now for uh, about 18 months, but it keeps getting postponed. And I have other traditional pilgrimages that I lead to Israel. And uh, also, I've done a couple of baseball pilgrimages here uh, in America. Some of our baseball stadiums are truly sacred sites. Uh, and I've taken groups to Wrigley Field in Chicago and um, Comis what used to be Comiskey Park on the south side of Chicago, Miller Park in Milwaukee. So really, I think Willie and I were traveling mindfully and we were also hoping to connect with people. I think connections are a big part of uh, spiritual pilgrimages, connecting to, to creation, connecting to our fellow human beings uh, and to all created beings. And Willie was a pro at that. Uh, he was he he ended up living not for three months but for eighteen months. And as soon as we would arrive in any context, he would begin to work the room and connect with people and make them feel very much a part of what was happening. Uh, I don't know that there are any uh, creatures who demonstrate unconditional love uh, and forgiveness and all of those important spiritual qualities better than our dogs. And, and Willie was uh, particularly skilled <laughs> at such things. So uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've even had people who have read the book or people who attended one of our events on, the, we called it the last hallelujah tour. I've had people ask me if we might turn uh, that into a pilgrimage and literally go back to the places that uh, Willie and I visited. And I had planned when I released this book to do a book tour in uh, along that same trail. And uh, of course, that's not possible right now, but uh, maybe in the summer or in the fall of uh, this year, we can em embark on that uh, pilgrimage. I like that little pun about embarking. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, can't help it. The Sorry. ideal thing to start a hallelujah, uh, hallelujah <laughs> tour. Um, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago uh, the 4th of July and, and starting in New Orleans, which uh, prompts me to come out with one of my very few New Orleans anecdotes that I have. The first time I was in your great country, sir, was 1996, and I was there for 4th of July. The scene at the big open-air mall 
was utterly amazing. I saw about 3,000 Americans of all shapes and sizes. Well, it was New Orleans, so they were a little bit big. <laughs> all dressed up in red, white, and blue. Uh, and after they sang the Stars and Stripes, they were all dancing in unison to YMCA. It was the most amazing <laughs> thing, the most amazing thing. Um, you're somewhat of an unconventional father, aren't you, father? You know, I was, I was expecting some kind of dog collar and whatever. There you are in your open neck shirt, hair all tussled, looking a bit hip and cool. Are you a modern day St. Francis of Assisi? You know, <laughs> well, you know, I think my dogs think that highly of me. I'm not sure that my human friends would agree, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that uh, St. Francis has left for us to ponder uh, that are incredibly important uh, for our world right now. When I visited uh, CC several years ago, I had always, uh, for many years, uh, loved animals and uh, loved to help their cause. But I remember kneeling at Francis' uh, gravesite, just sensing some sort of a call to play a, a very small part in his hopes and dreams for the world. And uh, all of the dogs who have come into my life apparently have been sent to me <laughs> uh, because they all come with a story. I'm a writer, I'm a storyteller, and uh, knowing them and loving them and being loved by them has given me an opportunity to share their stories. I live in a house uh, with uh, one beautiful wife and six uh, beautiful dogs right now. We have uh, six dogs, four of them are rescue dogs, and uh, we have Dogs who were rescued in Hawaii, some from one from Las Vegas, uh, one from Louisiana. You know, we we think that sharing their stories does make the world better. Each one of them has a really important story to tell. From Sinbad, uh, my guy who was rescued in Hawaii, uh, to Mahalia Jackson, Queen Lilio Kalani, my female pit bull, who's from New Orleans via Las Vegas. Waylon Jennings is my most recent uh, dog from uh, Kauai. His full name is Waylon Wailua Jelly Roll Jennings. And uh, Wailua basically means two bodies of water. Willie, my first dog, was Willie Nelson. This dog is Waylon Jennings. If you know much about uh, American music, you might know Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. Jelly Roll Morton, of course, was the great uh, New Orleans musician. Uh, some say he was the founder of jazz. He would say that about himself. <laughs> Historians debate that, but uh, he certainly left us a rich musical legacy. And, you know, all of these dogs, I think, uh, represent uh, some really important uh, places and people and have important stories to share. Why do you think that in the Abrahamic religions that to travel, you know, to go on a pilgrimage is so important? It seems that it's kind of key to, uh, it was key to the dissemination of the early church, you know, St. Peter and St. Paul both, both left uh, the Holy Land and went off to Rome. Uh, but why do you think that is, is such an important part of, of Christianity, early Christianity? I, you know, I think one of the things that I, I share with my spiritual community is that in the spiritual traditions and really any, uh, any type of spirituality, uh, stasis is really not an option. I mean, there, there must be growth. There must be evolution. There must be change. There must be transformation. The spiritual life really is a journey of discovery. We we never quite arrive, and I think uh, it's the perhaps some expressions of spirituality 
that assume they have arrived and uh, have their feet planted a little too firmly in place and a little too certain uh, that, that they have traveled as far as the creator calls them. I think that's where we get into trouble, that uh, our spiritual lives are an ongoing, uh, ongoing opportunities for discovery. And I know on my own uh, travels, I've learned so much about myself, about faith, about all of the spiritual traditions that enrich us as human beings. And, uh, you know, that's just such, such an important image, uh, that, that journey, even in traditional pilgrimages where we think about walking our prayers. There's something about moving that, uh, that connects us with, with one another uh, and with our higher power. Uh, that's uh, a beautiful way for us to have a little bit of a pause, Father. Last month, you had the first part of Andy Gladwin's epic. So epic, we had to divide it into two. Uh, a magisterial audio postcard of his journey on the M62. According to him, it, it's Britain's only coast-to-coast motorway. Well, that's not according to him. It's according to Wikipedia, too. But according to him, it's all the better for the fact that it doesn't go to my hometown of Birmingham. Here is part two of Andy Gladwin's fantastic audio postcard. Hi, I'm Andy Gladwin. My quiz prize from the last podcast was to send an audio postcard. So this is from a place that's played an important part in my life. This is my audio postcard from the M62 motorway, without a doubt the nation's finest motorway. The M62 is a motorway that runs across the north of England from Liverpool in the west at 53 degrees, 41 minutes north, 2 degrees, 90 minutes west through to Hull in the east at 53 degrees 71 minutes north, 0 degrees 69 minutes west. So just beyond Stothole Farm you come to Scamondon Bridge. This is where the engineers had to cut through the hillsides. They removed 5 million cubic yards of rock, which they then dumped in the valley on the other side and created Scamondon Reservoir. The motorway runs along the top of the dam there. So this was uh, real record-breaking stuff at the time. So it's the first time a motorway had run across the head of a dam. The bridge at Scamondon, when it was built, was the longest single-span non-suspension bridge in the world, and the dam at Scamondon is the largest uh, earth-filled dam in Europe. So it took five years to build, and when it was finally completed in 1970, it finally linked the eastern and western sections of the the motorway, so officially opened by uh, the Queen in 1971. The motorway then drops down into West Yorkshire, so it runs past Huddersfield and Halifax. And at this point, I can't talk about motorways without talking about service stations. So there are four official service stations on the M62. There's Burton Wood, Birch, Hartshead Moor and Ferry Bridge. I spent many happy hours at all of these service stations, although I regret to say they're not amongst the nation's finest service stations. But what I would say is if you're travelling westbound and you stop at Hartshead Moor service station, take a moment to find the memorials there. So there's memorials uh, commemorating the, the 1974 coach bombing which took place on the motorway just by the service station. So the service station acted as an um, emergency centre and uh, so a medical centre and, um, and um, 12 uh, servicemen and their families lost their life in that bombing. So the memorials commemorate um, that incident. So take a moment to, to find those and have a look. The motorway then um, travels through what's uh, known as a heavy woolen district so there's a, there's a clue in the name here so this was a center for textile manufacture sort of specialized in the production of heavyweight woolen cloth ropes and the manufacture of shoddy and mungo so you then pass um, past uh, uh, Bradford and past Leeds 
you go through the Tusky Triangle, which is uh, a centre for the production of uh, forced uh, rhubarb. So at one point, 90% of the world's uh, forced rhubarb was grown in the 30 square miles between Leeds and uh, Wakefield. And further east, uh, at Pontefract, which used to be a centre for the growth of licorice and uh, the manufacture of sweets, and the, uh, there's still a Haribo factory by the motorway at Pontefract. I haven't grown licorice for over a century commercially, so that's uh, that's long gone now. You then get to the Lofthouse Interchange. This is where the M1 crosses the M62, so you then uh, travel south uh, down the M1 to London. Again, this is another um, notorious uh, travel black spot. From here, um, you um, travel through what was the eastern part of the Orchard Cofield. So at the time, this was full of collieries. When I was a kid in the 1970s, this stretch in my imagination was nothing but collieries and slag heaps and power stations. It had its own unique smell, which I guess was from the power stations, which were all burning coal back then. So the collieries have long gone, as have most of the slag heaps, and the ones that remain have been landscaped. It now looks actually quite green and bucolic, so completely different to how it was. The power stations are still there though, uh, so you'll see Ferrybridge, Eggborough and Drax from the motorway. The minus a few cooling towers because they're partly decommissioned now and no longer burn coal, so it's all uh, multi-fuel and biomass now, so times have moved on. You then onto the final stretch of the motorway, which was completed in 1976, when the bridge over the River Ouse was completed. So this is at Goole, and at this point the motorway is only 2-3 to three metres above sea level, so it's now the lowest motorway in the country. Now, as a kid, I was scared stiff of going over the Ouse uh, Bridge, convinced that we'd be blown off and that would be the end of us. In fact, it still, now just, uh, still does give me the, the willies a bit, to be honest. The motorway then moves on to uh, North Cay, where it officially finishes, and it becomes the A63, and it runs on through into Hull. So I thoroughly recommend, if you're in the north of England, do come check out the M62. Definitely worth a road trip. So forget Route 66 or the Pacific Coast Highway. Um, take a trip across the M62. But if half a day and 107 miles across the country doesn't feel like much of a road trip, just to put it into its wider context, the M62 forms part of Euroroute E20, which runs from Shannon in the west of Ireland through to St Petersburg. And if that's not epic enough for you, then you could try the E22, which runs from Holyhead in Wales through to Isham in western Siberia, where you can then catch the Trans-Siberian Railway and travel on to Vladivostok. So I hope you enjoyed that whistle-stop tour through the north of England. And as I say, if you are in the... Uh, this part of the country, do come check out the motorway. You won't regret it. Thank you for that, Andy. Now, this is the time, folks, where if you are of not only of a religious bent, but if you've ever wanted to go a travelling, it's a time to ask a question to our Father Bill. I'm going to start this off by saying, obviously, you got the message out that you're going on this tour. Did you use social media? We did use use social media, and uh, that was how a lot of people discovered uh, that uh, Willie and I were on the tour. A, a number of news outlets picked up Willie's story. They were really intrigued by it. When we were in Tulsa, uh, it was kind of a last-minute event, and we had a Saturday morning event at 10 a.m., and when Willie and I showed up at the church at 9 a.m., there were four people standing at the, the door of the church who had driven two and a half hours to meet Willie. They were there to meet Willie, not to meet me. I, I admit that. I acknowledge that. One of the major newspapers in Las Vegas had picked up on the story and it interviewed me. I think we were probably still in New Mexico when they interviewed me. When we got to Las Vegas, uh, a woman literally ran 
down the hallway of the church, clutching her newspaper with Willie's photo in it, uh, screaming, where is he? Where is he? <laughs> and uh, it, he really became a, a, a sensation of sorts. And uh, what's not to love, right? I mean, a dog who's uh, overcome the odds and who's just being a dog, really. Uh, and all dogs are extraordinarily special. But Willie was truly one of those one in a million critters uh, who was just uh, pure love. And people sensed it as soon as he walked in the room. Would you say what well, one of your spiritual lessons was like uh, understanding the humility of being a very, very clear second fiddle to your dog? <laughs> yes. I, you know, there's no question that it is very humbling to acknowledge that each one of your dogs is much more famous and popular than, than you will ever be. And that's certainly the case for me. <laughs> you said beforehand uh, that American music is really central uh, to, to one, of, one of your loves and passions. Please tell me that you, you marked when you were 24 hours from Tulsa. Please tell me that that was not lost on you. <laughs> well, I will, I will, of course, tell you whatever you want to hear. So, yes. <laughs> you Fiona Powell has a question. Hello, Fiona. Unmute yourself. Ask your question. Hello. I'm coming to you from the banks of the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania. Father, only 15 miles from Williamsport, the home of Little League. So if you ever want to come yes. and visit the home of Little League, I will give you a very warm welcome here. Pilgrimage has been an important part of my life, most of my life. And I went to, I'm a folklorist and storyteller. I went on my first great walking pilgrimage when I was 16 along the St. Michael route from, from Cornwall all the way to Kent, uh, which was quite the experience. It took me a number of months. And I plan to do that pilgrimage again a little bit, uh, in a little bit, in a few years. Um, and I have led some smaller pilgrimages and some car pilgrimages. I, I try whenever I travel for many miles to uh, do a thoughtful travel. I, I frequently visit my daughter who lives in Georgia, and I try to do that route because it's uh, quite a long route for those of you who are in England. It's a terrible drive. But if you stop off in Virginia and in North Carolina and South Carolina and around Washington, D.C., and pick out historical or notable places or at one time libraries, it can be quite pilgrimage. As you said, any journey can be a pilgrimage. The one thing that disappoints me when I speak to people who are interested in pilgrimage, particularly from the United States, is when they talk about wanting to do a pilgrimage in the British Isles, which I perfectly understand, and then say to me, and sometimes on social media, what a pity we don't have any sacred spaces in America. It makes me weep. Can you talk about the sacred spaces of the United States? Yeah, in Celtic writings, there was the concept of the thin place, uh, places that are uh, so sacred and so special that the veil separating heaven and earth, the temporal and the eternal is so sheer, you can literally reach out and touch the other side. When I uh, teach classes uh, here in Louisiana, I ask people that question, what are, what are some of the thin places, what are some of the sacred spaces near us? 
it's really extraordinary for music lovers. Uh, they will frequently name a favorite jazz venue <laughs> or uh, one of the old recording studios in, uh, in New Orleans. We have a, a beautiful chapel here at Christchurch in Covington. There were a group of folks uh, from England who actually started the church that I serve, and the chapel was built in 1846. It's a very simple wooden structure that is breathtakingly beautiful, and it really hasn't changed uh, over those almost 175 years. And when I ask that question to my people, a number of them will say our, our historic chapel uh, is a sacred space, a sacred place. When I lived on the island of Kauai, there were so many beautiful sites. It was it was like living in a thin place. And I think sometimes when we're surrounded by such beauty, we you know become sort of inured and, and we, we're not really paying attention anymore. And so sometimes I think it is helpful to be just to simply be intentional about uh, you know, what What happened here? You know, some people might think the Mississippi Delta is a pretty bland part of the world and, and some really terrible things happened in the Mississippi Delta. On the other hand, there are, you know, there was some extraordinary music uh, that developed uh, in the Mississippi Delta. And if you go there uh, with an open heart and an open mind, I think that some real transformation can happen. And when we do the baseball pilgrimage, and I was intrigued uh, with the little league option, so thank you for that. I will definitely, definitely keep that in mind. There's a wonderful book uh, written by the former president of Columbia, New York University, I think, or maybe Columbia. the The premise of the book is that uh, baseball is a sacred sport, <laughs> and you know if we're paying attention and and you know, simply viewing it through that lens, uh, we'll be able to see it and appreciate it. You know, many of our buildings in the United States are not nearly as old as, as those uh, across the ocean. We tend to downplay the power, what we experience here. But I can tell you, if you, you know, if you stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon or you've been to Yosemite or the Rocky Mountains or, you know, any number of places, even, even the swamps of Louisiana, are, are really magnificent if you're paying attention and you're open. You know, just being intentional and being open makes all the difference. I should have mentioned I am a Celtic Christian. You might have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Wonderful. <laughs> and uh, this is a very thin place, the, the Susquehanna River. It's mm. extraordinary. And I live in an area where the, the Native Americans called Chilaskoki, which means land of the white swan. And the mm. swans still come here every year to migrate. And I'm always so moved when they do. You know, people talk about America being a new country, and in some ways it is, but it isn't. It's an ancient land. Mm -hmm. And every year when they when they come here, they remind me of how old they are. Mm. So that was lovely. Thank you. Sure, uh, sure. Uh, You've you really made me think about times when I've journeyed, and it's been the time that really springs to mind was taking my children to Jamaica for the first time. So it's 2007. Mm. So my son was six and a half, seven. My daughter was like three and a half. And we went to my father, their grandfather's village. It was one of my first ever memories was going in 1974 to my father's village. And then to take my children there 
to share one of my first ever real memories, to see them in this village, and then to go to the family plot and to see there was a Brown who died in 1848. It was incredibly moving, you know, and it was a personal pilgrimage. You know, when you watch these nature programs, you see salmon fighting to, to go upstream. You go, that's kind of crazy. You know, you, you know, why, why don't you just chill out downstream? You know, because you know what's going to happen you get upstream. But I realised that I had one of my most profound moments as a parent when I actually was a salmon and I took my children to the place where their forebears had actually uh, been born. Um, just before we move on, is there anybody who's got any stories about a, a personal kind of pilgrimage, a personal journey that they could uh, share before before we move on? Because I must admit, I'll come over all peculiar. Yeah, I was, I was going to say the church I helped run is St. Francis and St. Clair. So <laughs> where, where, where I grew up, every Easter Monday, we'd go on a pilgrimage to Guildford Cathedral from all those churches in the diocese of Guildford. And the Pilgrim's Way runs across North Down, so we'd all join the Pilgrim's Way. And you get sort of groups of people getting more and more, as you got closer and closer to the cathedral, you get bigger and bigger groups. But I I think on pilgrimage, it's not the actual travelling, it's more the people you meet along the way. I think that's what's important about a pilgrimage. And BBC's had quite a few programmes now about people going on pilgrims of diverse people they just put together to go on the pilgrimage and it's interesting to see how they get on they change they talk about their faith how it changes and i i think that's what pilgrimage is all about yeah you just reminded me of a really powerful connection that i made on a on a pilgrimage and it is about those connections i ask pilgrims on whatever pilgrimage i'm leading to to go with an open heart and an attitude of gratitude and then uh, it's extraordinary what may happen i was on the the uh, camino de santiago in spain a few years back and uh as you're walking you tend to see the same people every day and you begin talking to them and i became friends with a family from cape town south africa a couple of years later, I found myself in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, I had been in Zambia and went over to Cape Town and visited this family. The daughter of the family has a real interest in animals, particularly uh, animals who uh, need help in some of the impoverished communities of Cape Town. I think I had just come back from the Hallelujah Tour with Willie. And I told her about the Hallelujah Foundation, which I started in memory of, eventually I started in memory of of Willie. And uh, she said, uh, I want to do the same thing in Cape Town. And would you allow me to be your partner? And so Willie's Hallelujah Foundation has a partner organization in Cape Town, South Africa. You can Google them. They're, They're doing magnificent work with animals uh, in Cape Town. And that connection, uh, which was the result of a pilgrimage I went on with my dog, but that connection happened on a traditional pilgrimage. And it was all about being open and making a connection and uh, sharing our our hopes and dreams to the world with other people. 
And you just never know where it might lead us. Uh, I had no idea that it would lead us to having uh, a partner organization uh, in Willie's memory in Cape Town doing good work. So that's great. Obviously, there's, we have we have more in common than what divides us, and I'm sure that that's been one of your core messages. But do you find you get a different crowd on a baseball pilgrimage compared to a religious pilgrimage, compared to a musical pilgrimage? Or <laughs> like, you know, you, you you attract the same kind of crowd across all three, or is it, or are they quite distinct? You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I've had people come on the baseball pilgrimage who knew nothing about baseball. They were just curious as to, you know, how this was going to work. And, and, and they wanted to learn, you know, they wanted to learn about this great pastime. I think if we're curious, uh, we're going to be interested in all, all kinds of things. I mean, certainly uh, there were some uh, devout uh, baseball people on our baseball pilgrimage and the music pilgrimage is uh, the same thing people who trusted me and, and wanted to learn more about Hawaii uh, came on our Molokai pilgrimage. Sometimes the people you would least suspect <laughs> show up and, uh, and become uh, the most ardent learners, you know, on the, on the pilgrimage, but um, they have been really wonderful. And I think all of us have, have learned a lot from one another uh, and from the people in the place. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know what we should do, everybody? Uh, we should take five and have a little bit of uh, some quiz action. As, as uh, seasoned uh, watchers or listeners of this podcast will know, it's uh, our Claire that fiendishly uh, devises these questions. And I'm going to say these are extra specially fiendish this month. I only got three of these right. The rest, pure guesses, pure guesses. If you can beat three, all right, well done. Now, Father, a lot of these questions are of a religious bent. 
So if you don't ace this, no place for you <laughs> in the afterlife with the big man upstairs, sir. Hmm. All right. So first question is pilgrim routes. What is the most popular route on the Camino de Santiago, which finishes at Santiago de Compostela in Spain? Is it A, the French way, B, the northern way, or C, the original way? Let me try and uh, attempt the question again. Pilgrim routes. What is the most popular route on the Camino de Santiago, which finishes at Santiago de Compostela in Spain? Is it A, the French way, B, the northern way, or C, the original way? Question number two. Again, pilgrim routes. How many temples feature along the route of the temple circuit in Japan? Is it A, 66, B, 77, or C, 88? Father, if you don't know this, I will, I will let you off. This is another religion, sir. So I, 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 you're allowed to guess on this one. Uh, it's a multi-faith pilgrim quiz. Well, listen, <laughs> I and, and I appreciate that. I appreciate, but you know, fa- Father Will William here has c- kind of committed his uh, spiritual eggs all to one basket. And that's a basket of Christianity. So if we're doing Shinto all of a sudden, yeah, we give him a give him a pass if he gets this one wrong. But again, no baseball questions. I can tell you now. <laughs> <laughs> pilgrim roots. How many temples feature along the route of the temple circuit in Japan? Is it A, 66, B, 77, or C, 88? Again, still the theme of pilgrim routes. Which two Norwegian cities are joined by St. Olaf's Way or the Old King's Route pilgrimage? Is it A, Stravanger to Frederikstad? Is it B, Oslo to Trondheim? Or C, Bergen and Kristianstad? These are hard this month. Which two Norwegian cities are joined by the St. Olaf's Way or the Old King's Route pilgrimage? Is it A, Stravanger to Frederikstad, B, Oslo to Trondheim, or C, Bergen to Kristianstad? And just um, whilst we're here, uh, there's a wonderful podcast called The Second Decade, which looks at the second decade of the 19th century. And I just listened to this last week about Norway and the independence of Norway. This is the transference of Norway from Denmark uh, to Sweden and what happened in between. Utterly fascinating, really great podcast if you're interested in the early 19th century. Again, Pilgrim Roots. How long is the Bunyan Trail, which celebrates the locations of John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress and passes through Clapham where Claire lives? Hmm. Is it 66 miles, 86 miles or 96 miles? So here we go. How long is the Bunyan Trail, which celebrates locations in John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, which also passes through Clapham in Bedfordshire, not London, where our Claire lives. Is it A, 66 miles? Is it B, 86 miles? Or is it C, 96 miles? Last one of these fiendishly hard questions before we go on to ones which I was a little bit more confident on. Celebrating dogs. Which dog is named after this region in Croatia? Now, if you know your geography and if you're listening, a region of Croatia is named after a specific breed of dog. Which one is it? What dog is named after this region, or for our listeners, a region of the northwest coast of Canada? So what dog is named after 
a region on the northeast coast of Canada. I mean, it is the northeast. Apologies. Yeah. Which was also one of the last places to become part of the Dominion of Canada. Only became part of Canada in 1948, as I seem to remember, which was a surprise to me. It was still a crown colony up until that point. Again, celebrating dogs. Which dog was named after a state in Mexico? And if you're watching on Zoom, you'll see it in red. So what dog is named after a state or this area in Mexico? And then the last question, what dog is named after an area which is now divided between Germany and Poland? Back before 1945, this was solely part of Germany and it straddles the Baltic coast but now is split between Poland and Germany. So what dog is named after this area? Answers at the end of the show. Now, Claire, what's been happening on the socials? So uh, it's been a bit quieter on the socials, although the numbers in the uh, Facebook group keep growing. So we welcome everyone who joins that group. Uh, we've had various people showing off their map-related Christmas presents in the Facebook group. I got a map. Uh, in fact, I got the same map as Paula Formby and uh, Ian and Glyn both got map jigsaws, which, as you'll recall from an earlier map fact, jigsaws were first done to teach people geography by having maps on them. So that's all circular, all, all falls back. Some really great maps from Simon Evans, who posted a link around the National Atlas of the United States, which was published in the 1970s and has hundreds of maps, which sort of set out a sort of unifying kind of approach to thinking about the United States. And there was some really great stuff in there. That's been some of the sort of fun stuff on the on the Facebook group. Uh, a lot of chat around where people have been posting the things. So keep them, keep them coming. Twitter's been quieter. It's mainly been me and my map fact of the month. My one of my tweet on the hashtag map corner. So I'm going to hold that back for the end of the show. Oh, all right. Um, I, I thought we kind of almost were at the end of the show. What am I missing, Claire? Oh, well, I think we need to do the answer to the quiz, don't we? Well, I'm sure we need to like build up tension. I know Nick Roworth likes a bit of tension, don't you, Nick? You in particular. You like a, a metaphorical and actual drum roll. Father, before we come on to the answers for the quiz, how long did it take you to write the book? Well, I have a, another full-time job in that I'm a parish priest, so I write when I can. <laughs> Sorry, you know when you uh, said you had another one, I thought, bloody hell, aren't you supposed to be a priest? But no, that is... <laughs> <laughs> so I basically carve out some time each summer. This book, you know, once I got into it, the, the stories really wrote themselves. The, the memories were, uh, were fresh. And I basically wrote maybe the first third of the book uh, a summer ago. And then I wrote the, the last two thirds of the book this past summer. And uh, with any book, there are a lot of revisions and edits and so forth. But uh, I had a great team helping me. And so we finally wrapped it up in, uh, in October. Have you had a lockdown this year? Because I'm just thinking this would be a really great way of travelling vicariously. Yeah, <laughs> this has been a good uh, period of time uh, for people to uh, to travel through uh, through books and and videos, and uh, it it has been interesting. I've heard from from people all over who've read this book, and uh, it's been fun to connect with people. So, Claire, I think enough tension has been built 
Uh, so we can actually now have these answers. One answer I've already given everybody, if you, if you were watching with, with eagle eyes. So question number one, Pilgrim Routes. What is the most popular route on the Camino de Santiago, which finishes at Santiago de Compostela in España? It was A, the French way. I took it you knew that one, Father. I did. I actually got that one right. Oh, <laughs> All right. Smashing. Question number two. Pilgrim routes. How many temples feature along the route of the temple circuit in Japan? It's C88. If there's anybody who actually knew that, props to you. Oh, wow. Number three. Which two Norwegian cities are joined by the St. Olaf's Way or the Old King's Route pilgrimage? It's B, Oslo to Trondheim. That is quite a trek. Because Trondheim's all the way up north, isn't it? So that, yep. that, that's a schlep, a proper schlep. How long is the Bunyan Trail, which celebrates locations in John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress and passes through our Clare's uh, Clapham? It's 86 miles. So, it's so eight- Father Bill, if you ever find yourself in Bedford, the UK, and you want to follow in the footsteps of John Bunyan, who's one of our most famous residents, then uh, I'll take you to the Bunyan Museum. And we'll, I won't walk all 86 miles, but we can do some of the Bunyan Trail. <laughs> Very good. Uh, what dog is named after this region in Croatia? Now I was on solid ground here. Fiona Powell just slapped her forehead. She got this one. How could you get this one wrong, Fiona? This is easy. <laughs> of course, it's a, it's a Dalmatian dog. Dalmatian dog. Next answer. What dog is named after a region of the northeast coast of Canada? It's a Labrador, of course. Next answer. What dog is named after a state in Mexico? A Chihuahua. Of course, the famous Mexican state of Chihuahua. And then our last one. What dog is named after a region on the Baltic coast, which is split between Germany and Poland? It's a Pomeranian. It's Pomerania. Of course, Fiona, come on. How the heck did you not know that? You're like, ooh. <laughs> right, so um, we stop the share. We go on to gallery view. And I say, right, who only got one of those wrong? I'm not going to say, there's no way everybody got all of those right. Right? Hold your hand up if you only got two wrong. Yay, Ken McDonald! Ken McDonald! Ken, seriously, oh, you're going to have to unmute yourself here. Were these inspired guesses or did you actually know a lot of these answers? Well, of course, you gave you gave us one, number four. Everything else, well, the dogs I knew except the last one. I mean, Dalmatian, Labrador and Retriever and Chihuahua were all pretty easy. Uh, I did not know the Pomeranian. And then uh, the others were just guesses. Well, you guess well, sir. Uh, I see something spiritual about the city of Trondheim, but I can't remember what it was. So mm-hmm. I was negative. Most spiritual journey for me, because I, I must admit, Father, I, I'm not really a Christian. I'm not even not really. I'm not. Go to the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, and I defy anybody to walk into that building, and you know that it's 1,500 years old, and it's that big, and look at that dome. You feel like something's touching you, whether it's God, whether it's Allah. I don't know. I was like, woohoo. That yeah. is some some impressive bit of uh, human ingenuity as a, a temple to a, a higher and a spiritual being. Uh, Had you, Sophia? I was just like utterly amazing, uh, and and that was just a beautiful thing. Ken McDonald, you know what you win, don't you, Ken? But I, I think well, I already won it last time, didn't I? So I, I, I'm still still working on my audio postcard. Uh, Sarah Spilsbury, 
Lovely to see you over there in Smethwick, uh, next to my hometown in Birmingham. Right, folks, I think it's almost time for us to fold up our maps. But before we do, Claire Asprey is going to hit us with an amazing map fact of the month. Okay, and this one I actually I got courtesy of a, a tweet from our um, friend of the show, um, Simon Kustemacher, and it's the fact that Mount Etna in Sicily is the world's only desi point, which is where 10 administrative areas all meet at one single point. So there are kind of 10 administrative areas uh, around that, that they all meet at the peak of Mount Etna. So um, I'm a bit of a local government boundaries nerd myself. But that was right up my street. Um, I, and I love a bit of uh, local government boundary talk. So uh, that, that's why that was my favourite one this month. <laughs> you must be an interesting person at a cocktail party, Claire, I tell you. Right. Us map people, we, we struggle with enthusing people about our passion, but you take it one step further. There's only one place in America which has four states which join, which I think is New Mexico, Arizona. Are you nodding your head there, Ken? You're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unmute yourself. And I remember reading about this and somebody said that mathematically this is so unlikely that this can only really happen like once in the world. But like, there's a place in Sicily where there's 10 administrative boundaries at all time. So um, what, what are those uh, states which all join? There would have to be Arizona, uh, Nevada, Utah, and Colorado. New Mex- oh, my wife's correcting me. Colorado. I'm New Mexico. New Mexico. New Mexico. I did. Well, I, I wasn't going to check, and you are, uh, you are gospel <laughs> on, on these things. Hey. You see, I did there, Father. I said it was gospel. Eh? <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> You're yeah, fallible, Ken. You, you made a mistake. No, 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 there's a similar place. So four, there's a point where four counties meet. I think it's Leicestershire, Staffordshire, Warwickshire, and Northamptonshire, possibly. Um, I used to drive through it when I went to visit my friend who lived in uh, Leicestershire. But that, that, there's a point where four counties boundary, very, like just on a point together. Well, there you go, folks. The things you learn on Map Corner. Stunning facts. Where Claire has travelled through. Right, <laughs> so I think we can officially fold up our maps. But just before we do, Claire, um, who do we have on next month? I can't remember, but we're definitely recording on the 6th of February. In- we will see you then. Yes, international travel will not mean that I will postpone this, folks. So there you go. Uh, another fantastic edition of Map Corner done live. And you know what? They're going to have to go some way to beat our father, William, aren't they? Whoever's on next. <laughs> Absolutely. Great guest. You're a hard you. act to follow, Father. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Take care, everybody. We'll see you all again soon. I'm going to fold up my map. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.